You're listening to Pole Parlor, a fun, inspiring podcast for all those bewitched by pole dance. Each week, your Madam Crimson Minx has candid conversation with unique, engaging individuals from within and around the pole dance community. Pole Parlor is passionate about preaching creativity, soulful sensuality, and empowerment through pole dance. You know how we do. Welcome everyone to Pole Parlor. This is episode 28, Kitty Marie. I'm your host, Crimson Minx. On this episode, we have pole artist Kitty Marie. We talk about how Kitty was oblivious to the pole community as a stripper and how she became obsessed after discovering videos online by Janine Butterfly and Natasha Wong, her life as a pole dancer and studio owner in Japan, and then the reality of pursuing a pole dance career in Los Angeles, and also how she uses diverse interests, including burlesque, male pole dancers, and the fetish community to inspire her performance style. As always, check out Kitty Marie's post-podcast interview on the blog at poleparlor.com, where she shares her favorite photos, music, video, and more. And I apologize in advance for my hoarse voice. I just returned from Pole Expo in Vegas, which, though amazing, has left me struggling health-wise. But luckily, Kitty does most of the talking from here on out. So let's bring her on. Welcome, Kitty Marie, to the Pole Parlor Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. So let's jump on in. For how, how long have you been polling and how did you first discover pole dance? I started actual pole dancing four years ago in the springtime. And I started out as a stripper. That doesn't really count as pole dancing what I was doing, honestly. But I saw a YouTube video of Janine Butterfly, and I had no idea that there were even pole dance schools out there four years ago or pole dance competitions or any of that. And then I flew to Tokyo, and I had my first lesson with Natasha Wang when she was visiting. Oh, wow. Okay, so you were stripping prior to four years ago. But yeah. But you weren't really aware that there was actually people dancing on the pole for something other than stripping okay that's exactly cool. and that's the funny thing I think a lot of strippers out there strangely enough are not aware of that maybe more nowadays but four years ago no I had no clue that's so cool and so you went to Tokyo what you where were you before Tokyo I was living in Nagasaki which is about a thousand kilometers south of Tokyo so this was like a grand trip and I'm like okay if the masters are touring the world then I want to learn from these people so you were stripping um, also? Not in Japan, no. No, no. Okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so then you went to Tokyo. You took your first class with Natasha Wang. Yeah. How was so that? <laughs> she is officially my pole mom, I guess, because yeah. she was just like, you've never had a lesson before? Because for my first private with her, she taught me how to do an Iron X. So, yeah, I started off... I had a list of things I wanted to learn after watching these videos of Janine and Natasha. And I I got to learn almost everything on my list that day. And I didn't know what X-Pole was. I didn't know that these tricks had names. I knew absolutely nothing. 
but went back to Nagasaki, ordered an X-Pole, and just haven't stopped since. <laughs> so, wow. So you do, do you have a fitness background then? Because how are you going in and doing an Iron X on your first <laughs> pole project? I had, as a stripper, like the most complicated thing I could do was a handspring. Okay. Like I had gotten that far just teaching myself and seeing the tricks that other girls would do. But okay. like jade splits, splits on the pole, like none of that I had ever seen in a strip club before. Yeah. So I was already quite strong and my physique entirely is from being a stripper since I was 16. Uh, and these were the things I'd taught myself. When I did a handspring, it was in a true grip now that I know the name of it, but I had <laughs> never learned like twisted grip this. No, didn't know what any of that was. So I was doing things maybe in not the most efficient manner, but once I started learning to pull, I started getting more flexible. I started aiming to do more. So yeah, it's opened up a whole new world. Where are you allowed to strip at the age of 16? Really nasty dive bars in West Philly that don't (laughs) care. Yeah. I was 17-ish. Yeah. Yeah. We won't get that. We won't say names. We won't get anyone in trouble. Yeah. Oh, that place is long gone. Long <laughs> gone. This is like almost 20 years ago. I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You look very young and you look extremely strong. And when I see you dance, um, I just assume you have some type of extreme fitness background because you are a power puller. But you're saying that a lot of this just came from probably having some natural strength, but also just being really curious as a stripper and teaching yourself things based on YouTube. Yeah. Like, I mean, every stripper has their strong points literally. And mine was pole. It was what was fun for me. And from the very first day, I was just like, Ooh, what are they doing? I want to, I want to learn that. That looks (laughs) like fun. So that's cool. So then you moved to Tokyo, correct? No, I moved to Nagasaki. You moved to Nagasaki in 2007. Okay, in 2007. And then did you have, do I understand correctly, you had a studio there? Uh, no. No. Okay. I, for five years, after I had gone and studied abroad in Japan, I decided I wanted to live there. And for five years, I was working as an English teacher in Nagasaki. Okay. Never touched a pole. Okay. Couldn't, I just assumed once I graduated college and moved to Japan, I would never be on a pole again. I thought I was too old to do that. Mm-hmm. And after... I had this epiphany that I would want to quit my job and be a pole dancer. And I moved to the largest city in Kyushu, Fukuoka, and I opened a studio there. Okay. So you did have a studio. Yes. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Trying to piece this all together. (laughs) Exactly. It was literally, I met Natasha four years ago. So that was 2012, that spring. And then later on that year in September, I moved to a, different city up a pole studio wow okay so it was like literally less than six months of me training myself and i'm like i'm gonna do this and just did it (laughs) that's amazing okay so first of all i want to just go back to for those who don't know katie marie has a you have an undergraduate and master's degree from ivy league yes from penn yes and you decided I'm going to go teach English. And then you're like, nah, I love pole dancing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So what was that experience like opening a pole studio over there? It went really well for me. I, I picked a good spot. I picked a spot where pole was really taking off in Tokyo. 
but there was no pole studio in Fukuoka, and again, largest city on the island of Kyushu. And there were lots of people who were interested from before I even had the polls set up. I had people going, I saw you on Facebook and I want to take lessons. And I'm <laughs> like, I- I'm okay. I'm getting there. And within a year, I had like over 200 students that came through there. And people would come from Tokyo to just to take lessons with me. It was really flattering. Oh, my goodness. But yeah. And again, locations, everything. I think especially now in an oversaturated market, anybody that's wanting to get into pole, pick your location wisely. Go where no one else is <laughs> and open a studio. If you come to like New York or LA, you might have a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it's it's way more saturated in those areas, for sure. Yeah. We're going to get to that more later yeah. because um, you now live in Los Angeles. Yes, yes. Um, so how long did you have your studio before you decided to move to Los Angeles? Um, to be honest, as I was opening it, I was thinking, I want to go back to America. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've wanted to give, I wasn't ready to leave Japan. Like it's hard to live anywhere that long and just pick up and leave. So I wanted to give it a shot. And again, I have no dance training. I've never had a formal dance education and I really wanted one. And I came to visit in 2013. I visited LA. I got to see the choreography house, which was like my dream studio. Everybody was there was really great. I got my first like pole classes in. I was like, I want to do more of this. I want to be the student for a change. Like I want to get more flexible. I want to get more, I want to know more about my body and I want to learn more. And I knew that wouldn't happen in Japan. Okay. So I figured if I wanted to do that, go to where the best people are. And it was body and pole or Los Angeles. And I don't want to be cold. So (laughs) yes, it's much colder in New York than it is in Los Angeles. That's for sure. And you grew up in Philly. So you're like, been there, done that. Maybe try a different coast. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the pole scene like in Japan though? Is it as major as it is in the United States and Australia and It's taken off. Is there a stigma to it as there is in other places or... See, the only difference is they didn't have the stigma to it like we have here because it's not, they don't have strip club culture there like we have. So, yeah, it was seen as like, oh, hoo, hoo, you're on a pole, but it was more like a cutesy kind of thing. Okay. So, like belly dancing or something like that, it was about the same. Okay. And I guess I was expecting that over here, oh, pole has evolved. Like it's more socially acceptable now. Maybe the stigma's erased thanks to the pole industry. And that was my perspective being in Japan. I didn't realize, oh, wait, there is still a bit of a stigma attached to it in the United States until I moved here, to be honest. I was expecting that that was just over with. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Yeah, apparently not. Apparently not. Because, again, in Japan, it was just understood. Like, oh, okay, it's just the new fitness craze. Cool. And it's on television more. It's, yeah, they're embracing it over there. That's definitely cool here. That's yeah. awesome. But you decided, all right, I've been in Japan long enough. I did yeah. I did my teaching. I've I've done my studio, but you know what? I wanna I wanna grow myself more. I wanna yeah. go back to the United States. You chose Los Angeles and what year was that? That was November of twenty fourteen I moved here. Okay. So not almost two years, almost two years now. Yeah. Great. And so how did that change your pole life? Um, 
I became the student for the first time, which was phenomenal. And as soon as I moved here, I was bitten by the pole bug. And I came here because I competed in Paragon. Okay. The, and I represented Japan for <laughs> Paragon, which was funny. Oh, that's cool. Can you tell people who don't know what Paragon is what that about it real quick? Paragon is Kelly Yvonne's international pole competition. I know she's done it in Australia, Mexico, and Los Angeles now. I think there was one in South Africa. Yeah. And I was just excited just to be here. It was my first, like, big pole competition, seeing it live and in person. And I was starstruck. So coming here, I was honestly petrified. If you ask some of the girls, they were just looking at me like, what's wrong with you? It's like, you don't get it. I've been idolizing you guys from across the ocean. And now I'm getting to meet you. I go into Coho for the first day, and I want to run my piece. And the only person in the room is Phoenix Causery. And I remember asking at the front desk, is there a beginner's open pole? I I was just petrified to even be in the room with this woman. I was just in such awe. Which now, like, fast forward a year and a half later, she's the sweetest, warmest person. What what did I have to be afraid of? Honestly, it was just starstruck. Yeah. Definitely. That's cool. And I've met, like, celebrities since I've been here, and I could care less. It's like, well, they don't hang 18 feet, feet up in the air by the armpits, so they can't be that special. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been more starstruck by pole stars than, like, mainstream celebrities <laughs> like brad pitt whatever <laughs> yeah but <laughs> that, that's cool so what did you you so you started doing competitions did you start performing did you and did you do like stripping here too like uh, it sounds like you were just concentrating on pole once you got to los angeles and there was not a, um, a secondary focus if you will there really wasn't and i wasn't Honestly, I was just full steam ahead thinking about what I wanted to do and maybe not what I needed to do to actually continue. So I was just performing wherever I could, sometimes for free, sometimes for super, super cheap and having to drag a next stage because I wanted to get my name out there. And for money, like literally the day after I moved here, I was on stage in a strip club. I came here with nothing. I had three suitcases and a pole and no money to my name. And... If it wasn't for strip clubs, then I wouldn't have had an apartment within a month. I wouldn't have been able to compete in two national competitions and win them within six months. All of that was funded mostly by strip clubs. And I wasn't expecting to have to do that, to be honest. I thought I would have more income coming in just being a pole dancer. And in the beginning, it was more like polling for free or spending money to poll just to get my name out there. So, again, things I didn't plan for or think about, and I didn't care at the time. I was just happy to be here. Yeah, something that, you know, that's come up on the podcast many times is that we are still, as pole dancers, kind of just performing for each other. Yeah. You know? And so it isn't as big as, like, you know, a moneymaker for as prevalent for, say, you know, other areas of dance. And yeah. it's tougher to to um, to make a living doing it. So, can you talk to us about your your strip club experience? Because do they appreciate that you can iron X, or are you just kind no. of like <laughs> that's like one of the last things you'll do unless you've got like some personal trainer dude in there who's like <laughs> wanting to see it. But for the most part, 
you don't want to do anything that emphasizes how strong you are. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And to be honest, I think one of the best pieces of advice that was given to me years ago was at that little club in West Philly. And lucky he pulled me aside. He was just like, you left some money at the top of the pole. And I'm looking up there and I'm just like, seriously looking like I don't see anything. <laughs> and he's just like, exactly. Ain't no money at the top of that damn pole. So why do you keep climbing it? Just like, oh, yeah. And he's right. To this day, that still stands overall in a real strip club where you're hustling for lap dances to make money. Mm -hmm. People don't want to see your pole tricks. There's 40 girls on shift and you might get on stage twice a shift. Oh, wow. Nobody really wants to see the stage show. It's just, especially nowadays, it seems to be, you know, a lot of these clubs, they don't even ask you to audition they look at you or they might say you know take your clothes off right there in their office and that's it that's your audition it's not about it's strange I've been gone for eight years and I remember like seeing girls audition and having them be told like you got to get more confident you need to get your dance skills up at least when I was in Philadelphia now nobody cares if you can dance it's more about like just take your clothes off walk around and get lap dances so we can get our cut of it so it's it's sort of descended into that. Yeah, and I was so happy that you were willing to come on and talk about that because I I personally have this issue where people are like, You're oh, you're a pole dancer, so you're a stripper and I'm always jumping like I have zero emotional abilities or confidence abilities to be a stripper. Like people think that they are semi-synonymous and from, you know, it's maybe people mix it up with bikini dancing, which maybe isn't as... It's a little different. It's a little different, right? But I think people need to understand and I think people listening to this podcast should should understand this as yeah. well. That because, just because you're a good pole dancer doesn't mean that you would make a good stripper. Stripping, strippers make their money doing lap dances, going to... It's you know, a sales job. Yeah. It's a customer service and a sales job, and you're selling an idea of sex, mm -hmm. and you've got to be convincing about it, and you've got to sell it as many times as you can to everybody in there. It's not you selling tricks on stage. It's not... When I first moved here for the first 10 months, I was like, I don't want to have to go to those places to make money. I just want to be the hands-off girl. I'm only going to be on stage, because to be honest, I don't want anybody to touch me. Mm -hmm. it, I really don't enjoy that. But... Working in those places, I, I was going broke. I couldn't afford to pay bills and barely making any money. It was more fun because all you had to do was dance on stage. Yes. But then you have days where it's like, well, I made $20 today in six hours. And that's the reality of it. But if you go to these lap dance factories, you can make way more money there. It's just the truth of it. And it's sad but true and after 10 months, I just gave up. And I was just like, you know what? I've put myself in a position where I have to go there now. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't happy about it. But I wasn't going to do what some people suggested, which was, do you have to be so public about the fact that you're a stripper? I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. Because again, this is what feeds me. This is what enables me to keep pole dancing. So fine. Yeah, I'm going to put it on Instagram. Come find me if you're brave enough at Dames and Games today and get a lap dance, whatever. I don't care. Because I needed to make money. Yes. <laughs> so 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm so happy that you're willing to talk about that and share that with us. So, you know, people who maybe aren't familiar as much with strip clubs have an understanding of how different pole dancing and true stripping is. Yeah. Yeah. Like the clubs that I was working at when I first got here, I don't consider that a real strip club. And the more popular places in L.A. that are known for having the, quote, best pole dancers, that's not a real strip club. It's a show bar. Yeah. And you only make your money on stage. If it's a real strip club, it's it's cutthroat. It, yeah. There's dozens of girls and hundreds of guys, and you just have to keep moving and keep it in mind that whether it's positive or negative, their opinion doesn't make you you. Just smile and take their money. You are not there to be liked. You are there to make money. And even if they don't like you, go over there and irritate the hell out of them until they give you money to go away. <laughs> just... It, it's about the money. It's not about being liked or being a good dancer, honestly. Yeah. And there's, there's uh, definitely no shade toward those other clubs that you mentioned that are less no. strip clubby, but there is a difference, you know, because that is, um, there is way more appreciation for the dance, the stage performance, and there aren't back rooms there Yeah, where, you know, they're re- Required or where they're kind of necessitated to go to bring clients to, you know, I recommend people checking out Lux ATL's podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, um, yeah, it's called definitely Stripcast because she talks about it very, um, candidly as well. And it's just like super interesting. So there's different levels to it. Again, there's no shade on those clubs exactly. because yes, I had more fun there, yeah. but I wasn't making any money. There. <laughs> and even and even in these bikini bars where it's all about the stage show, I will say that in whatever the capacity, the girls who are going to hang outside the club with these customers, whether it be in a friendly or a more intimate capacity, of course, those are the ones they're getting more rain on stage. Yeah. So it's not it's not about your stage show entirely in any of these clubs, whether it be a bikini bar or a strip club, it's not entirely about what you do on stage. Good to know. Yeah. Because you are incredible at what you do on stage because Thank I have you. seen you perform. I have seen you at Ink and Iron, which Yay. is a whole competition, which you won. Yes. Um, let's talk about your competitive and your performance life now. Okay. Your, your more passionate side, what you'd like to pursue more. What's your experience with that? Um, I'm not a competitive person. I never have been. Like, I'm always in competition with myself. Mm-hmm. And even in pole competitions, like, I remember at Choreography House, some of the other competitors were like, do you mind if we're all practicing in the same room? And it never occurred to me to mind. Why, why would I mind? We have different songs. We have different pieces, different bodies. Who cares? Yeah. We're all going to compete in the same competition. Like it's to me it's not a competition, it's more like a really awesome show that we're working really hard to put on. That's cool. So I don't see it as no, I can't show my pole passes <laughs> to anybody because they might steal them. I don't even think that far about it. It's like this is my piece, this is what I want to achieve and I just want to do the best that I can. I want to do better than I did before. So I think I like performances more because it's never in my mind, like, I got to beat out somebody else. I I really don't care. I really don't care. And I love performing. There's less pressure. Everybody in general is happier. It's just a more jovial environment. Yeah, I I would say burlesque shows have been my favorite places to perform because of that. 
That's cool. Have you done pole performances at in burlesque shows? Oh, yeah. Like cool. most of my pole performances since I've been here have been at burlesque shows, which, by the way, are the lowest paying pole performances <laughs> I do, but still the most fun. Definitely. The audience is super warm and receptive. And as opposed to you might have about 50, 50 people who are like, mm, she stripped down the pasties and the thong. I don't know if I like that. At a burlesque show, everybody's expecting you to do that. Yeah. So they're really receptive of it. And there's, yeah, there's no great divide about it. And they're just super appreciative of you. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And you reach a larger audience typically at burlesque shows. It's more of a mainstream audience. Like a lot of people have never seen that on a poll before. And they always tell me that afterwards. Whereas at a poll show, like you said, it's poll dancers performing for each other. Yeah, I feel like we're currently bridging that gap. And, you know, those who listen to this podcast regularly know that I am a huge fan of burlesque and that I do yeah. see it as a great way to kind of mesh different um, dance styles and to reach exactly what you said, which is getting like pole awareness out there Yeah, because we can't just keep performing for each other. And I think that is like an issue with pole shows is that we're kind of just targeting the pole community where like we want people like, you know, people who go out on weekends who, oh, let's check out this burlesque show. Like yeah. do people really do like, oh, let's go find a pole show to check out. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, like we need to do more to get it more mainstream and attract a broader audience. And I, I like the burlesque shows for that. They're great. They're super receptive to pole. And again, I call it pole-esque. The next thing that I want to do with Polesque is I need like a headset mic so I can sing while I'm on the pole. Oh my gosh. Do you, I'm so you working sing on also? that. I love to sing. Singing and dancing are my passions, to be honest. That's so cool. And you're also like, you have that stage presence understanding, like your costumes are very well thought out and very creative. Thank your you. audience engagement is incredible. Like things that make people want to watch you I think you have that down <laughs> hashtag honorary drag queen that was why I did a RuPaul song for ink and iron I had a few pole dancers tell me oh you want to pick a rock and roll song like that kind of crowd that's not going to go over well I'm like this is what I want to do this yeah. is what makes me happy so and I think it made the crowd happy definitely yeah I, I think drag queens are the fiercest performers that I've seen, especially some of the fiercest women I know. So they inspire me greatly every time I perform. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. A random aside, I just started listening to RuPaul's podcast, which is excellent. I oh just, my God, <laughs> I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's really good. So um, total aside, but um, how do you, I, I see it. I see the whole, the, the whole drag queen thing. If you had to kind of describe your pole style for those who don't know you or who haven't seen you dance before, how would you describe it? Imagine if Catwoman was a pole dancer. Cool. It's like a superhero on a pole. It's powerful, but it's sexy. Yeah. Definitely. I, I like to keep those elements together. I like to, do, I like, when I started on the pole, a really good friend of mine was just like, do guys do this? So after I got in my world of Janine and Natasha videos, I just started searching male pole dancing. And because I realized like with my body type, it's easier for me to do a lot of what people would consider more masculine pole style because of the power polling than it is for me to do like the super flexy things because I've never been flexible. Like this is the most flexible I've ever been in my life. And I like taking the guy's movements and making it sexy. 
putting on a pair of high heels and again, giving it like a super heroine kind of a feel. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You're a total superhero. Like for those um, who want to, who are just like listening and want to like type it in their phone really quick. Um, Kitty Marie's Instagram is I dance bot. So, yes. Yeah. So type it in, check out some of her videos because it's like, it, they're super powerful. They're it's so strength based, but it's so sexy. And you, it, eat. it's it, I'm a kitty. You're kitty. It, it's strong, but it's it's fluid. It's and it's got to be to the music. Musicality is everything to me. I have a lot of videos where I'm not doing tricks. I'm just dancing because yeah. to me, I follow a lot of polers on Instagram that they might not be considered advanced polers, but it's because of their connection with the music that I'm like this person is going places and I see it very early on. It's like, it's not about the tricks that you do. It's how you weave them together and how you express the music for me. Because again, dance for me, I don't want to see gymnastics. I mean, if that's your thing, that's fine. But for me personally, I want to see a dancer. Yeah. And it's music is everything, everything. And that connects how you, your Polesque and, all of that, something, you know, I've noticed if we want to dance for people outside the community, they are going to recognize the beauty in your movement attached to the music as opposed to, holy shit, she just did that latest um, trick that everyone's been doing in that challenge exactly. online recently, exactly. you know, like people um, without pull knowledge can connect to it and um, want to see more. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we do that for the uninitiated, it all looks the same. Yes. And to have a decent variety in any performance, it's about changing your shape in relation to the pole and yes. making it weave with the music. And it's funny that some tricks that mainstream audiences go freak out for are just like the easiest things ever. But again, it's, it's, it's still an impressive shape to make if you're 15 feet up in the air. And things like grip changes and all of that, like they, they don't see that. They don't understand the difficulty that's involved. So it's something to consider when you have a mainstream performance at like a nightclub or something like that. They like dynamic things like sudden drops, splits. But if it gets too technical, then you lose the audience. Those are perfect for competitions where you're being uh, judged on complexity and things like that. So maybe yeah. put those in your put those in your repertoire for competitions. And then maybe if you're trying to um, get more of a an audience appeal on something that is not a competition. That's more of like a entertainment performance Then, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe don't pull them all out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, keep it. So it's accessible to the mainstream audience and think about the audience that you're performing for. If you're performing for pole dancers, by all means, put out all the stops. But if it's a mainstream audience who has maybe never seen pole, just keep it simple. Simple seems to be better. Yeah, and go with your music music and flow with definitely, it. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And you got to have fun up there. Yeah. You got to smile and you got to look like you're having fun and you got to make sure you're like connecting with the audience. Oh, yeah. When I see a puller that's up there, I'm like, hey, are they looking at me? Are they? <laughs> Which, I, you know, a good performer just knows how to connect with the audience. Yeah. I'm like so pulled in, you know? So, which is important. And then, um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about really quickly is that I noticed you dance in like these specific shoes. Oh, yes. 
Okay, yes. let's talk about your shoes real quick. And it's hard to describe this, you know, because we're not holding them up right now and many people are just listening, but they're like, they're like sh- stripper shoes without the heels or something. They're just front loaded platforms. Correction. I have feeling they that's are not, not what they are. They are stripper shoes. Exactly. They are that's not what stripper they look shoes, like. And I get a lot of questions on Instagram about them like, oh, are those pleasers or what are those? Did you just cut the heels off? These are shoes that were actually made by the fetish industry. They're called pony shoes or pony boots. So uh, how do I explain pony play? Pony play is basically somebody pretends to be the horse, the submissive person, and they put on these shoes that have no heels, but it makes their feet look like they have horse's hooves. So you're constantly forced to be up on releve. The average person is not expected to walk in these shoes. The average person is expected to crawl around on their hands and knees in these shoes. So... I don't crawl around on my hands and knees for anybody. I'm very much not a bottom. So (laughs) many years ago, I took the ballet torture shoes, which is another set of uh, pole shoes or uh, fetish shoes. And the ones where they're super, super, super pointy, like you're forced to be on point. Okay, exactly. And there's a heel attached, so you can never flatten your feet. Ow, ow. Exactly. And I have a pair of those, which I haven't danced in lately. And to be honest, I would need several months to train my feet to get back up to them. But I've been enjoying the pony shoes lately. They're just like regular high heels for me now. Because when I dance in high heels, even my heels don't touch the ground. You should be on releve. You should be up on your toes. And I don't believe in crawling around. So I made it my business to make sure I could dance in them. And to date, I am the only person I have seen anywhere in the world that just dances in them on the regular. Yeah. I've never seen anybody do it. And that was my goal. It was just like, nope, I don't crawl for anybody. I'm going to dance in these shoes that everybody said you're supposed to crawl in. Yeah, I was like, I know that's not what they are, but what the hell are they? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a link in the show notes so people can go and take a look at what the hell we're talking about. But it's just like they're another- right here in the corner. I can bring them over. Yeah, Give go me one for second. It. <laughs> here we go. So let's see. These would be the pony shoes. So again, the heel hasn't been cut off. They were made that way. These specifically are my favorite that I've ever had. They were made by a company, Extreme by Design, in the UK, and they were custom made for me while I was living in Japan. Oh, wow. And that company has since shut down. So I'm really sad because these are, again, the best pair I've had. They're super lightweight. They're actually comfortable. And people don't believe that, but they're quite comfortable. And they're kind of beat up. The PVC is coming off. And I'm stuck for where to go to next for a pair. But I'm looking around. Yeah. So for those who are watching video, you can see them. For those who are listening audio, go to the show notes. I'm going to put a link in there. And if anyone has any idea where Kitty Marie can get another pair of these, (laughs) definitely reach out to her on social media. I'm sure she would appreciate it. Definitely, definitely. Okay. The custom, the custom-made aspect of it makes it difficult, of course. But yeah, yeah. But, that's but so they're cool. out there. There's a company I saw in Germany, but I don't read German. And Nadia Sharif and I were looking at the website, like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google Translate or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just so cool because. You know, watching it's so unique. It's something that stands out with you, but you it shows that you are literally always on the balls of your feet. You're never leaning back into your heels. And that's the way you're supposed to dance in high heels, to be honest. When people say they want to learn how to dance in those, I was like, start with your regular high heels and don't let your heels touch the ground. That's cool. That's really good training advice. <laughs> 
They're like training heels or wheels, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, most of us aren't trained, you know, trained dancers or never even thought about that. So next time I dance, I'm going to think about that. Like, try not to even touch on the heels. And I see people dancing and sometimes they do it without thinking about it. Saja Fierce is a good one. Like, she's always kind of up on her tippy toes anyway. And I'm like, see, she needs a pair of those. She could do it. <laughs> yes. Fetish heels for everyone. Maybe it'll yes. be the next big craze. <laughs> Until people hmm. start falling on their ass and realize, no, Kitty Marie is just really fucking talented to be able to pull that off. <laughs> or just crazy because I literally would just walk around the house and them just trying to strengthen my calves. But <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So um, thank you for getting up and showing them to us. Mm, now, mm. now I finally understand what I'm watching when I see you. And so what is your trajectory moving forward now that we know all your your experience up to this point? What are you thinking for... What's next for Kitty Marie? Um, about a year ago in November, I wasn't expecting it. I was already winding down after I won Ink and Iron, actually. And I was thinking maybe the pole industry is not something I can make a career in. And I'm content with this to just be my hobby. And my mother pointed out to me, she said, well, you call yourself a professional pole dancer. But to my knowledge, a professional means... You earn a living doing that profession. And currently, this is just your hobby. So she's right. I am a pole hobbyist who competes at a professional level. That's okay. And I'm applying for regular jobs, getting back into my academic life. And I wasn't prepared for the fact that, okay, now I have to backpedal and get my last name off of everything on the internet related to pole and stripper world. And I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that so many people would sort of look down their nose at you in the grander world for that sort of thing. So it's a process. It's a process. And I do plan to come back to the pole world. Okay. And I would like to compete in the future. It will definitely not be under my full name anymore. Okay. But I have to wait and see what the career will allow me to do first, because that has to come first. Because without the career, I won't be able to afford to continue in the pole industry in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's not a cheap hobby, that's for sure. You yeah. Know, paying for classes and paying for, you know, the shoes and the costume and the, to, you know, enter the competitions or you know, to promote I, yourself and all of that. I find the biggest thing for that first six months, I, I was indulgent. I put myself on a schedule of working four days a week at the strip club and then I had three days to train which was perfect scheduling for me. And the average person doesn't have the time for that. Correct. But literally, it's training to be in competition. I needed time off. I needed to take time off so I could devote to pole training. And we're not sponsored athletes. Like, the average person is not getting paid for the time they're missing from work to go and train to be at a competitive level. I found that that was the most expensive part, the time that I was missing from work. Yeah, But it was... It was worth it to me at the time. I was just like, no, I want to do this. I want to learn. I want to train. Yeah. And again, at 37 years old, I am at the strongest and most flexible I've ever been in my life. Seriously. And you lived. You're not like, yeah, I yeah. see. It looks like you were in an apartment, a home. I don't see you recording this by a dumpster somewhere. So you made no. it work. <laughs> no. And again, sacrifices for sure. I am thankful. I am thankful for the strip club, if anything, for that. Because again, what... How many jobs could you just walk into after eight years out of the United States and get off a plane and leave that night with cash for food and bills and rent and a new apartment? 
there's not a lot of options that you have. But if you can make it work, you can walk into a strip club (laughs) and you're going to leave that day with some money. Yeah. So if anything, I'm thankful for that. It it served its purpose. It got me back on my feet. Yes. Yes, you definitely, you know, made the sacrifices you needed to to make, you know, but I think it's really helpful for me to hear this and I'm sure for other people to hear that it's not this glamazon life where you move to LA and then all of a sudden you are performing in these potions and you are just making it rain on yourself through, you know, through yeah. performances and teaching a few classes or whatever. So it's, it's you know, you have to really grind and you, and you have to make sacrifices and yeah. you know, everyone needs another job. People just don't Instagram about their other job all exactly. the time. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't realize that. Like maybe perhaps it was naive on my part that all these people that I was idolizing it wasn't until I moved here that I was realizing, oh, they have other full-time jobs. They're not full-time pole dancers. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so don't beat yourself up, guys, when you're thinking like, oh, yeah. I, I'm not getting, at, you know, developing as quickly as a dancer as some people. We don't know. We don't know what's yeah. going into that. Or, you know, they're not working and they're, you know, really struggling. And um, training, like you said, indulgently multiple times a week in intensely. So, yeah. And it's, it's for some people, if you can afford to make it work more power to you, keep going. Yes. But there's a lot of us because of families or whatever financial obligations we have that we can't afford to do that. So maybe our poll career or our poll progress is not as fast as we would like it to be. And I reminded one of my students since I've been here, she was like, I feel like I'm really falling behind when I go to class because I've got the wedding coming up and I've got this coming up. And I was just like, girl, this is your hobby. What do you mean falling behind? Why are you comparing yourself to anybody in a classroom full of people who are doing this as their hobby? And like you said, you're getting married. (laughs) You just started a new job. The poll will always be there. And you do it for fun so don't put that pressure on yourself that I have to do like the new trick that everybody else is doing or whatever everybody else in the class is doing. Do it at your own pace and keep having fun with it above all. Seriously. Amen. People need to hear that. Like, and people need to remind themselves of that. So yeah. I'm so grateful that you, that you mentioned that and brought that up. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So let's jump in to the second part. Okay. The questions I ask anyone because I'm super curious. Okay. You've mentioned a few people, but who is your official pole crush? Official pole crush. See, there's pole mom. That was definitely Natasha because she was just, she was so complimentary to me and her story was so inspirational to me that 29 she started pole. And again, I went to Japan thinking, I'm never going to touch pole again. I'm too old for that. But pole crush... Again, when I'm in the presence of Phoenix Cosry, I feel like I'm in the presence of God. And she's like the one person, like, she's just so sweet and just regal, honestly. I'm like, I gotta stop saying fuck. Oh, God. (laughs) I just get so, even now, I kind of get nervous around her. It's funny. She's a sweetheart. But the men. Like, I went to see Napa last year, and more than anything, I was impressed by the men. I think there's so many male polars popping up lately that... When I think sexy polars, there's a lot of guys that come to mind. And whether it be like all the Russian crazy boys with their break dancing and this guy spinning around on a static pole with a cup grip, one-handed iron X, excuse me? (laughs) Yeah. People like that caused me to invent the word aralysis. 
which is like arousal and uh, jealousy. Uh, <laughs> because, yes, that's really, really hot and you're amazingly sexy, but ultimately I just want to destroy you and suck your soul so I can be you. But, <laughs> but yeah, I have like a whole list of men. Um, Josiah Grant and Stephen Retchless from the very beginning, obviously. Dr. Ken Cow, lately Brian Wolf is just blowing everybody away with how amazing he is. Uh, Swasit, he's just super sexy and super flowy on the pole. Um, I, I feel really badly that I can't remember these Russian names, but Alexei Pordendov, I actually met him in person. He's like Russian ninjas. He's like over six feet tall and just super fluid with everything he does. And... Again, my style of pole is super powerful, so I'm always looking at the guys for new tricks. Vladimir Katakunov, like, I actually, a few of my moves that when I won pole theater were things that he had taught us when he came to Choreography House. He's super amazing. But, yeah, it's a lot of the guys lately for me. They have been definitely catching my eye more than anybody. And you're seeing more of them dance in high heels, and I'm like, okay, he moves better than a lot of the ladies I see, so. Yeah, I've been, um, I've said it before, I, w I wasn't always turned on to the band, but more and more recently, I have been, and they're really yeah. bringing a lot of, um, a, di a different view of how, you know, to dance sexy as a male. It's yeah. changing, you know, and it's not necessarily having to replicate moving like a woman, but it, you know, they're still doing it in heels and they're still, you know, doing it, with flow, but strength, and it's it's sexy in a male way. Exactly, exactly. There's sexy in a male way, which or society's expectation yes. of a male way, <laughs> correct, like the breakdancing kind of I only use my arm style. But there's also the sexy, more effeminate way. Yes. And the guys seem to have it covered on all spectrums lately. I, I'm very impressed and very inspired when I watch a lot of their stuff. Monica L. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. When I look at everything that he does, every time he's on the pole, it looks beautiful. And he's got this happy smile on his face. I'm just like, fuck you. Stop being perfect. Stop it. I love him. I love him. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely yeah. all crush worthy. Yes. Yes. And Monica is somebody that I'm just like, this boy... If anybody deserves to be making a career out of simply pole and aerial, him. Everything he does is just beautiful. And, I mean, again, for all of us, there's uh, there's so many of us that are talented. And I feel like you need to be a pole dancer and do nothing else with your life. But financial obligations in life dictate otherwise at the current state of the industry. That's correct. But, you know, that's what we're doing our diligence to change things. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a catch-22 because especially with the sexier styles of pole, there's definitely still a stigma attached to it. But I find that when it comes to selling like pole fitness and pole classes, most of the people that want to take it, they like the sexy pole aspect and that's what they want to do. So there's this great divide of we want to get away from the strippery styles, but that seems to be what's selling well. So I don't yeah. think we can. And why would you want to separate the two? So I don't know if, I don't know if it's going to be possible, honestly. Yeah. I, you know, I think people just need to see it more. It's like the more people are seeing it in movies and videos and in burlesque shows and, you know, it's, they just, um, what did, vertical Joe said, I love that she was like, 
I'm just so tired of people being offended every time they see a damn pole. Like, yeah, yes, like, yeah. Get, you know, people just need to get over that. It's a pole, you know? And again, the Japanese had a very healthy sense of, oh, this can be used for many things. Yeah. <laughs> and over here, it's just like, oh, it's a stripper pole. Immediately, it's just a stripper pole. I'm like, ah. Uh. Okay. And they don't want children on the pole. That's the thing. I had children that were amazing students in Japan, like four years old. Wow. And no, I'm not teaching them like the things that I would teach somebody who wants to do like twerking and heel clacking. But again, there's many different styles of dance, just like there's many different styles of pole. You're not going to teach kids the lambada. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like consider your audience, but there is a type that they can do. So yes. you can give them the more fitness gymnastic aspect. And again, for the Japanese, like every elementary school that I ever saw had like a grouping of 12 giant poles that you would never see mm -hmm. here in America. But it was just like a set of poles for kids to climb and do like fitness tricks on. They teach you in gym class. And nobody ever thought like it's like strippery. If anything, you saw more boys up there doing it than anything. But over here, you see a kid on a pole. Why would you let your child do that? I'm like, really? Are we still thinking that way? It's amazing. And we just established that stripping really has, no, has very little to do with the pole. It just happens to be an object that is in a strip club. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, we could go into the whole phallic worship of it, which is what I love about it. But, you know. We can go into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because, it, I mean, it's dancing around a great big phallus. And, <laughs> and even the girls who don't do tricks on it, like you're being suggestive with it. You're putting it between yes. your butt cheeks like you're swiping a credit card or something. <laughs> you know, you're kissing it or whatever you're doing to it. You're, again, make love to your pole just like Jimi Hendrix makes love to his guitar. Like it's, it's your instrument, definitely. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always, I remember I had a teacher once that was just like, yeah, you know, just treat it like a dick if you're trying to be like sexy. And I was like, well, that's a little crass and that, you know, met me tear turn people <laughs> off. But it was one of those like erotic sexual classes. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, no, I think that don't just like, you know, kung fu grip it or whatever. Like yeah. that's part of your, your dance. And you know, that's, it's just like Jimi Hendrix's guitar. Like if you have a chiffon fabric how are you going to move with that? How are you going to like partner. hold it and treat it? Yes. It's your partner that you're dancing with and treat <laughs> it that way. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And so um, I feel like we're kind of leading into it. Um, and you've kind of mentioned a few things already, but how would you like to see the pole community evolve over the next five years? Wow. You know, that's the one question I've, it was tough for me because I know what it would take for it to evolve. And I'm not sure that that's possible. To be honest, it's like any other adult hobby out there in that without mainstream support, it's not going to grow. Mm -hmm. And there are so many other things out there like skateboarding and BMX biking that it's a little easier to see those things get mainstream support because, okay, kids can skateboard. Kids can, you know, do these sorts of sports. But with pole, again, there's the sexual stigma attached to it. And a lot of mainstream sponsors mm -hmm. don't want to touch that. So I don't know if they ever will touch it, to be honest. And if they do, I see it going in a very gymnastic direction where it's going to be an apparatus. It'll be a vertical bar, basically. It'll be an apparatus that they use in the gymnastic competitions, which means there won't be as much of a dance element involved, to be honest. It'll be mostly children that you see doing it. That's fine. 
But then that leaves out all these people who enjoy it for the dancing and the sexiness. So I've always wondered, why don't we put pole in the X Games? Like, we're so hard-pressed to get into the Olympics if We've anybody... Yeah. yeah. We talked any- about that, like, two weeks ago. Like, yeah. If anybody would appreciate a pole dancer, a bunch of BMX bikers and skateboarders would love to have us, I'm sure. Definitely. And they'd probably let us keep the high heels for the competition. <laughs> I know. I'm like, since we started talking about that just recently on the podcast, I'm like, yeah, what the, let's stop fucking with the Olympics. Like, let's get into the X game. And like, I say, like, I think Red Bull should sponsor pole, pole dancers. I really do. Like, I think if we're getting ourselves, you know, it, in the right situations that there is maybe this opportunity to keep the dance Red- with the fitness, you know? Yeah. And I feel Red Bull's a great one because they're already amenable to like a nightclub kind of yeah. environment. They've got the Red Bull girls. So they're not opposed necessary to necessarily to sexuality as a marketing tool. So yeah, more sponsors like that, or I, I don't know if people would be down with it, but getting somebody like an alcohol company to sponsor pole. I mean, competitions. Like we talked about this with Alethea Austin that like Miss Pole Dance America, like we need like Budweiser money or like Jack Daniels money in there. Yeah, to, like, yeah. Put on these major shows and competitions. And that's how you're also, once you have that money, you can do larger stage productions and then you can bring in that outside community as well, you know? So, yeah. And I got to just say, like, last year I was nominated to be in Miss Pole Dance America. I didn't make it, and I didn't care. It was just the fact that you mean one of my idols that, like, for years has just nominated me to be in her competition? I'm cool. Drop the mic. I'm just happy to be nominated along with all of these other fabulous people that are also some of them idols of mine. Yeah. I felt like I did everything I wanted to do in the world, to be honest, after that. And yeah, that was just super, made me happier than anything, to be honest. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. And that's such a good attitude to have. And it's not the last, you know, it's an annual thing. So yeah, yeah. But it was just the fact that, wow, people consider me to be at that level. And within four years, I was able to get there. And four years ago, I never would have imagined being there. I never would have imagined like standing in front of Alethea Austin at Ink and Iron and like winning anything, to be honest. So that, yeah, super, super happy about that. Maybe there's a pole crush since the beginning. Yeah, she's a good one. Yeah, she comes up often and she's like a great person, too. So, yeah, you know, worthy of pole crush status. (laughs) Everyone is I feel like. 98% 98% of the people yeah. that, that I've met in the pool community are just like beyond nice people, just really down to earth and humble and very open and definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, um, do you have anything coming up that you can share with our audience that, you know, maybe just your social media or we should look out well, for you or I know you're trying to pull back because it's, yeah. it's career time, but <laughs> it was, it was such a, like the end of an era. Like I had to privatize all my YouTube videos. So the only Facebook is gone. The only social media I have anymore is the I dance spot on Instagram. And it might have to remain that way for a while, to be honest this year, I did no competitions or performances except for one. I did the Luscious Maven tribute to Prince and David Bowie just because of the subject matter. It was just the irony that the first two burlesque shows I went to when I moved to L.A. were a David Bowie burlesque show (laughs) where I did I'm Afraid of Americans. And I went to a Prince-themed burlesque show. And then this year, both of them died. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, I think Whoa. I want to do that show. <laughs> Trippy, man. Yeah. And I saw that performance. You were, you were a killer, so. It was fun, but honestly, I would like to do the Halloween show with Luscious Maven, but it's looking like that might not be able to happen due to adult obligations. So, but yeah. Well, we'll follow you on your Instagram. And I'm, you know, I'm always performing right here from home. <laughs> yes, perfect. And then, you know, who knows? You're going to find that dream job that is completely open to it. And you are obviously still training. So, you know, I would love yeah. to see you in Miss Pole Dance America in the future and other Polesque performances. Oh, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'll good. be back. Good. I will be back. Trust me. It's just that I have to lay low for the time being. Gotcha. So. <laughs> yeah, we're wishing you luck with that because, you know, we all like to feed ourselves and pay our bills. So right, it's understandable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And so before I let you go, can you leave us with an empowering message or quote or anecdote, anything to, to leave us with? Yeah. I See, again, I was gone for eight years, so I missed much of American development and slang and all this stuff. And YOLO? <laughs> is a new one to me. You only live once. Oh, uh, you don't, yeah. Yeah. You can forget that. I, that's not cool anymore. <laughs> and that's new to me, right? <laughs> so, and again, I guess it's like carpe diem for millennials or whatever. Yeah. But I'm going to quote Cat Williams. You only live once? Nah, nigga, you live every day. You only die once. <gasps> yeah. Because... Yes. In the interest of, oh, just live for today and live for the moment and do what you love and... That's all well and good, but you have to remember that you're going to be alive tomorrow too, and that the things you do today are going to affect your life tomorrow and the lives of the people around you. So think and act wisely with that in mind, with that live for today kind of spirit is great, but you know, you might want to have proper planning prevents poor performance and effective risk management of your health. And your finances also need to be considered. So I hate to be like the adult and voice of reason. And <laughs> Thanks, it's mom. True. Yeah. It's true. And I sound like my mother, and, but she's right. She's so right. It's, yeah. She calls my poll competitions your little adult dance recitals, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's right. You do. I want to be able to continue what I love to do in the future. So I have to make sure that I'm prepared for that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. completely true. You know, you have one life, so follow what you want to do, but don't be stupid about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And to be informed is the greatest thing. And again, if you can make a career out of poll, which a lot of people do, that's great. But you have to think about how much money am I going to make monthly? How much money am I going to make in five years with that industry? How much money am I going to make in 10 years? If I break both my legs tomorrow, what am I going to do for money? And if any of those things troubles you, then maybe that's not the industry for you. Yeah. And thinking ahead, I'm going to yeah. jump back into complete randomness real quick because I mentioned the RuPaul podcast and I listened to one with Henry Rollins today. Oh, God, I love Henry Rollins. I know. Who doesn't? <laughs> but he's great because he was, you know, obviously, for those who don't know Henry Rollins, he's in Black Flag and Rollins Band and is like this major punk rocker. But and he's still hot. Oh, yes, God. he is. Yes, yeah. he is. And yeah. so, but he said, like, when I was a punk, when I was, you know, doing punk rock, I knew that it wasn't going to sustain me for the rest of my life. I saw where the Sex Pistols were. I saw where, you know, other punk performers who I admire are. So I was also in the background working on acting and I was working on my speaking and I was working on my writing. And so, yeah. you know, you can pursue something wholeheartedly and still think ahead and exactly. you know, just be wise about it and set yourself up for, well, what's next? Because, you know. 
we do age and you know yeah. you can't be an athlete forever yeah. not to be <laughs> pessimistic about it but it, it, our bodies I mean, have its limits <laughs> i mean granted like another one mary carol is such a pole crush of mine I call, yeah. a lot of us call her yeah. fairy pole godmother people may not know her can you just tell she's an mary carol in is in her 60s yeah. yeah and just getting more flexible and stronger every time i see her just beautiful sweet personality pole is her hobby Yes, And she's told me many times that, no, in my 30s, I wouldn't have been able to do this. I was raising kids. I had things to do. But, yeah, again, thinking long term. You can do this when you're older. It's just that, you know, make sure that you have a safety net that ensures that you can still do that later. Correct. Because you always want to enjoy it, too. And you can do it as a hobby forever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the thing is, as an athlete, it's a realistic thing to consider that you could suddenly be injured or ill and not be able to work as a pole artist. Yes. And what are you going to do during that time? Do you have a safety net to fall on? And if the answer is no, then the industry is not for you. Definitely not. Or anything that requires your body to be your main source of income. That's great advice. You've you've left us with a lot of great advice today. Yeah, you were so fun. It was so great speaking with you. I appreciate you taking the time and and being so honest with us about everything. No, that was fun. Definitely. Definitely. Because, again, I want everybody to know the facts before they want to get involved. Yes. And so I encourage everyone to follow Kitty Marie on Instagram if you're on there. If not, you know. You, YouTube's are private. The Facebook is private, but you'll be yeah. you'll be seeing more of her for sure. Oh, I shall return. I yeah. shall return for Definitely. sure. <laughs> Kenny Marie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Pole Parlor podcast. Want more? Visit poleparlor.com for show notes and to link to the Facebook group where you can connect with other poleaholics and continue the conversation. Listen to past episodes and subscribe to new episodes on the website, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Lots of love, babes. Thanks for listening.